Now we're going to go to our newsmaker, a guest who's on the line, Chris Hedges. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, he is one of our nation's most insightful cultural critics and authors. For 20 years, he was a foreign correspondent in war zones and conflicts in Central America and the Middle East, Africa, and the Balkans. He reported for the New York Times, the Christian Science Monitor, and other outlets. And while at the Times, Chris received the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for reporting on global terrorism. The same year, he received the Amnesty International's Global Award for Human Rights Journalism. His most recent book is The World As It Is, Dispatches on the Myth of Human Progress. It's a collection of his most insightful and timeless essays on our current political climate, the Middle East, and the decline and decay of the American Empire. He also writes weekly uh, an award-winning political blog, Truth Dig. Nice to have you with us today, Chris. Thank you, Gary. Chris, you filed a lawsuit um, challenging the Obama administration on the National Defense Authorization Act. We've been led to believe by both the Democrats and Republicans who supported this act, in fact, the majority, the vast majority of Democrats supported it, that as well as the Republicans, that it is an act to fight overseas terrorism and to protect us. You're challenging that by saying, hold on a second. You have a long history of seeing what happens in countries where the power to arrest and detain, disappear people, to torture people is frequently used in a discriminatory fashion. Take us through your objections to the National Defense Authorization Act. Well, it goes a much step, a huge step beyond what the Patriot Act allows. Remember that uh, the president is already or at least considers himself authorized to serve as judge, jury, and executioner in ordering the assassination of American citizens, which he did with the Yemeni cleric Alawi. Uh, if you read this act, and in particular Section 1031 of the bill, uh, it uh, has very, very disturbing language, and the language, uh, in essence, uh, permits the... Uh, arrest and detention without due process and trial uh, of an American citizen who, in very vague language, has either substantially supported, directly supported, or assisted uh, forces that are considered to be terrorist. Now, remember that uh, we saw after 9-11 a tremendous crackdown on Palestinian charities uh, that had provided medical support and money and aid to Palestinian groups in the territories. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, we have seen, especially with Rahm Emanuel's recent uh, revision of the municipal codes to essentially make it impossible for an Occupy movement to operate in Chicago, a movement to criminalize any kind of dissent and to associate that dissent, those forms of dissent, with terrorist activities. We've seen it with the uh, incarceration of people who have been condemned as quote-unquote eco-terrorists in maximum security prisons. So um, it, what this does in essence is overturn uh, over 200 years of law uh, whereby the military is not allowed to engage in domestic policing. Now it is. Uh, and I've lived in countries where the military has that kind of power. Uh, and it, it's extremely frightening and extremely dangerous. And I think that what is uh, perhaps even most disconcerting about uh, the passage of this bill is that uh, the FBI 
the CIA, uh, uh, the Pentagon, uh, the Director of National Intelligence, uh, even the Attorney General, none of them supported it. Uh, and, and so you have to ask your question, why was it passed? Uh, if all of the major uh, security agencies, including uh, FBI Director Robert Mueller, when he spoke before Congress, uh, said that uh, he thought the passage of this bill would make it harder uh, to obtain cooperation from persons uh, uh, that they in the past have been able to uh, convince to cooperate. Uh, and yet it passes anyway. And, and I think it passes because the corporate state, which sees the unrest and discontent in the streets, which knows that things are uh, going to get worse, uh, which I think is worried about uh, the mass, the rippling of the mass movements that were triggered by the Occupy movements, uh, they don't, in the end, trust the police to protect them, and, and they want to be able to call the army. And with this bill, they can do that. Explain what you firsthand experienced about your own friends or yourself in countries that allowed the military or the president, along with the military, to have the power that this act would provide, does provide our president. Well, when you can be disappeared into black holes... Uh, without any kind of legal representation or recourse to the legal system, when you can be held indefinitely, and according to the language uh, of this bill, uh, you can uh, be locked up until, quote-unquote, the end of hostilities. And let's remember this is uh, the, the kind of psychosis of permanent war against terror uh, means there is no end point. Uh, then in times of political turmoil, you have empowered the state. Uh, to use the military uh, to uh, essentially create a, a, a military dictatorship. And I lived in Argentina during the Dirty War, of course, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala. It uh, worked in countries like Syria. Uh, once you unleash these kinds of forces internally and there's no accountability uh, and that sort of state paranoia is heightened whereby uh, – uh, dissidents are equated with terrorists, uh, uh, then uh, it, it kind of spirals. It feeds on itself, uh, and you end up with vast military gulags and abuse. Uh, all of it is done in, in secret. Uh, none of it is uh, – there's no way to check it. There's no way legally to control it. I mean, this is a weapon that in the hands of – uh, our government essentially makes uh, the word uh, democracy uh, impossible to, to use to describe our political system. It's an extremely catastrophic then, and egregious assault. Then, Chris, if you pull back for a moment, where are those individuals, except for like a Dennis Kucinich or, or Ron Paul or others who did stand up against this, but where are the individuals within the uh, the the foundation that is our Democratic Party or the foundation of our Republican Party, those who hold to freedom on the right and those who demand that we maintain our rights on the left, where are they at in this discussion? I don't see them demonstrating well, against this. You know, and we have to also mention Ron Paul and uh, Bernie Sanders who have also spoken out uh, against this. But, you know, and, and that raises the right question. I mean, where are the one million lawyers in this country? Where are the hundreds of deans of law schools? Uh, where are they? 
uh, aren't these people? And of course, I mean, what is m- perhaps most disturbing about this is that Barack Obama is a constitutional lawyer. At a certain level, he has to understand, in a way that George Bush probably never did, exactly what he's doing. Where are they? Why are they silent? Um, you know, this is this is how totalitarian movements work. If you go back and read, uh, you know, the rise of you know, whether it's in Weimar, Germany, whether it's in the former Yugoslavia, you know, you corrupt and destroy the legal system. Essentially, you you make crimes legal. You make what in the past was illegal legal. Uh, and then you're finished. And that, that is the process. I mean, you wonder if anybody's ever read history. Let's just take one example of that. Wasn't it Martin Luther King who said... I'm not sure if it was his last speech, but it was one of his last speeches where he was talking about, as a par- uh, as a parable, what would happen if uh, you were passing a person who needed help on a road. And he was talking about, I believe, his trip that he had taken with his wife uh, to uh, Galilee or one of the cities at the lower level. And it was a dangerous area, and it was known for its uh, people being robbed. And he said, on the one hand, the average person would think, well, why should I go help that person who's disabled by the road? What would happen to me? What would? And he said, no. He said, you should ask yourself, what would happen to the person if you don't help them? And that just stuck in my mind when I heard that speech. And it still to this day resonates. Why don't we think about what will it happen if we don't go to the aid of those who are challenging our government and challenging the abuse of our wilderness and our public spaces as is happening out west now with 16 million acres being turned over to private corporations to exploit. You don't see major demonstrations. Roads being closed off. No more access. What happens when we don't pay attention to a Patriot Act, a Homeland Security Act? And, and now down in Florida last week, Homeland Security, uh, dressed in full military operational gear, we're checking the IDs of every person going into a Social Security office. We don't challenge that. It's, oh, it's just another day. What happens to the people that we don't look after, the homeless, the dispossessed, the, the people thrown out, over 44 million Americans, using Martin Luther King's concept, what happens to them instead of always looking at, well, what will happen to me? Well, by your lawsuit, my inference to what you're saying, and I'm not, I, I hope I'm accurate in this, your inference is if you don't stand up and challenge them on this in the court system and allow those like Jonathan Turley and other really out, uh, courageous constitutional scholars to come forward, then this is just going to be another law of the land that allows them to do anything they want, and then we will say, but at least I didn't get arrested, or I'm not on a terrorist watch list because I never went to any echo demonstration, or I didn't protest anything, I didn't sign any petitions, I didn't show up anywhere. Yeah, but what about the people who do? Martin Luther King today would be saying, think of the people who are the ones who are being victimized, not just your own self-protection. Your thoughts on this, please. Well, of course, and, and, and what happens is that uh, you close yourself into a, a smaller and smaller box uh, by taking that kind of an attitude. Uh, you make excuses for uh, measures of state control uh, that increasingly impinge on any kind of civil liberties. Uh, the, uh, the danger of this is that uh, by the time people wake up, it, it's too late. And these are processes that are always very, very slow. People should go back and read what happened in Nazi Germany between 1933 and 1940. It was a very incremental process. 
the Nazis spoke primarily about moral renewal. They very rarely in public, uh, Hitler very rarely mentioned the Jews. Uh, you know, it was it was a, a kind of slow chipping away. Uh, so that, you know, initially uh, Jewish veterans from the First World War were exempt from the restrictions that were placed on Jews. I mean, it, it is a gradual process by which you just turn up the heat, you know, in, until by the time it's boiling, you're caught. And and that is exactly what's happening. Uh, and we're not responding. We're just not responding. We're remaining passive. We're remaining fooled. Uh, and, and of course, uh, what it means is that those few courageous voices, people like Bernie Sanders or Dennis Kucinich or, or others, are just much more easily decapitated because uh, the public is remaining complacent. Now, you know, we have seen since the fall a rise in popular demonstrations, uh, which, which really frightens the uh, corporate state deeply. And I think that these measures... Uh, I believe can be seen as a direct response that they they know things are going to get worse. Uh, they know the economy is in a tailspin. Uh, they know that the jobs that we've lost are not coming back. They know that we have driven up the largest deficits in human history that we can never repay. Uh, and I think they're preparing for it. My final question, if you look on the left and you look on the right, as far as the official left and the official right, and the, both sides deny conspiracy exists. Both sides deny that uh, there's um, that there is any great problem as long as we vote in their candidates or continue to keep their candidate like Obama in place. That it'll all get better in the future. And any of us who are not a part of those two official left and right and see the truth of it, we're asking where are the people? Will there be any? Uh, any people standing up who have the courage to tell the truth and to denounce what has happened to their own party leaders. That seems to be something that Lawrence O'Donnell and uh, and others on the left in the official left media are refusing to do. It, it requires people on the more independent media, either left or right or, or progressive, to do that. We're not hearing these voices like your own inside the official media showing what's wrong. What's wrong with the Patriot Act? What's wrong with the Homeland Security Act? What's wrong when FISA was a crime and then they made it legal, including Barack Obama, right. who said it was illegal when he was running for president, but once he became president, suddenly he went along and signed the bill making it legal. Your final thoughts on this, please. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, in the corporate state, you're not allowed to step outside the paradigm that the corporate state provides. So you can watch Al Sharpton, who's a cheerleader for the Democratic Party and Barack Obama, or you can watch Fox News, where they cheerlead uh, the lunatic fringe of the Republican establishment. Uh, but actual critical voices that confront the existent structures uh, of power uh, are completely shut out because um, neither the Democratic or the, or the Republican Party has any intention uh, they, they, in fact, are wholly owned subsidiaries of the corporate state. Look, every dictatorship and totalitarian government I ever covered had elections. Uh, they loved them, uh, whether it was in Syria or Egypt or Iran or anywhere else. Uh, but it's political theater, and I think that at this point we have replicated that political theater uh, because on the actual existent uh, structure of power, i.e. the corporate state, uh, this is not up for dispute uh, within the formal political system. And those people who do challenge it, whether it's Ralph Nader or uh, anyone else, are, are pushed outside, completely outside uh, 
the mainstream, and that that is uh, you know, and that's the way they want it. But I, I think that when you look at the legislation, especially this piece of legislation, it's and you just read it as I have, it's it's truly terrifying. Well, I appreciate once again the work you're doing. Let's hope that your lawsuit at least is able to get through some of the initial hurdles. We will be following it and always consider this a form you can use to share your points of view. Thank you, Gary. Chris Hedges, a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist and probably the finest essayist in America today.